Race to Walk Podcast, Episode 11. Welcome to the Raised to Walk Podcast, where we're walking out the life of faith. Romans 6, verse 4 reads, As Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. And this show is designed to help you do just that. Now here's your host, Carla Alvarez. Thanks for joining me for another episode of the Raised to Walk podcast. And today I'm going to be talking about the synchronicity of God. About a week ago, the director of my Bible study class at church asked if anyone would share their testimony of how they came to know Jesus as their personal Savior. And several people shared their story. As I listened, I was thinking, I really should video these. So I brought my tablet on Sunday, planning to ask a few of the people who shared the week before if I could record them. This lady, Becky, just happened to be the first person that I asked. What follows after is the audio of the her testimony. If you'd like to see the whole video, you can go to raisedtowalk.org forward slash P11. And then included in that article will be the full video. My name's Rebecca McCullough, and I want to take a minute to tell you a story about a girl I knew. She was raised in Colorado in a good Christian family. Her father was a deacon, her mom was a Sunday school teacher. My friend was the second of three children and always kind of felt a little odd being the middle child. She wasn't quite as cute or quite as good as her older sister, and she wasn't as young as her younger brother. She just was the middle child. She tried really hard to be a good kid. She worked in this church nursery. She taught Sunday school from the time she was in third grade. But she always wanted to be something else. Her sister graduated from high school two years before she did and went away to Washita Baptist University. My friend continued through high school and was an exceptional student in speech and drama. She was in the beauty pageants. She did everything but never quite felt she lived up to her sister's reputation. When my friend got ready to graduate from high school, it was time for her to choose the college to go to. All of her family wanted her to go to Washita, and she refused. She was no longer going to be Deborah's little sister. She wanted to be her own person. The pastor wanted her to go to a religious college, and she refused to do that also because she said she could not do anything except be a preacher's wife by going to a religious college and she'd have the preacher looking for a new church every week or two because of her opinionated status. So she chose to go to State College of Arkansas. She didn't need a religious college. She was going to join the Baptist Student Union. She was going to be with the athletes of Christian, the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And besides which, there was a Church of Christ right across the campus that she could go to. She had it all together. No one needed to tell her what to do. Time came for my friend to go to college, and she did. She assumed things were going to be like they were for her sister. She was going to meet a brand new roommate. They were going to be freshmen together. They were going to be great friends throughout their whole school year, probably the rest of their lives. But things didn't happen that way. My friend's roommate was a junior. She was a fraternity sweetheart, the little sister. She was very sexually active. She did drugs. She did alcohol. 
all the things that my friend had never learned about. My friend got busy with the drama and speech departments. And before long, she realized, you know, this is more important than going to class. I've got the rest of my life to learn. So she just kind of drifted away and not went to class. And Sunday mornings would come and it would be time to go to church. And, you know, that Church of Christ was across campus and it was a kind of a strange-looking building and she wasn't really sure where the entrance was. And, you know, you wouldn't want to walk in in the middle of someone's class and just kind of made up excuses not to go. And she wasn't an athlete, so the Fellowship of Christian Athletes didn't work out for her. And she really wasn't a Baptist, so she shouldn't go to Baptist Student Union. She would just stay busy with her friends in the speech and drama department. And that's what she did. She wasn't a bad girl. She just was going along, letting nothing happen in her life. Christmas vacation came, and she went home. And the very wise pastor who had tried to get her to go to a religious college called her to the side and asked her to give her testimony on what it was like to be a Christian on a state college campus. My friend thought about it for a while, and then she said, I'll do it when I come back at Easter. Because my friend realized she had never actually been a Christian. She hadn't spoken up for Christ. She hadn't gone to church. She hadn't read her Bible. She didn't know what it was like to be a Christian on a state college campus because she hadn't been one. My friend went back to school and met with all of us and told us about what had happened at Christmas. And said she was going to give her testimony come Easter. It was a big joke. It was a real joke, you know. Okay, Vic, we're going to do this for you. Here's a calendar. This is when spring break is, so you can become a Christian this Sunday before you leave. And that way you'll be able to tell everybody. And then when you come back after spring break, we'll go back to our regular lives. Not exactly what it's like to be a Christian on a state campus, I guess. At the campus, there was a great big huge bear that sat in the student union. The legend about that bear was that when the first virgin ever graduated from that college, the bear would get up and walk out of the student union. And my friend was teased a lot about the fact that she wouldn't sleep around like everybody else did, that someday that bear was going to have to walk because of her. My friend got tired of being teased, so she decided, all right, I'm not going to be a Christian for a couple more weeks, so I can go ahead and lose my virginity. And plans were made for a great big, huge, gigantic party. Lots of drugs, lots of booze, and the loss of virginity. Well, State College of Arkansas is in, I thought, it's not Faulkner County, but it's in Conway, and it's a dry county. To get the booze, everybody had to drive to Little Rock. So since it was a party for all of us drama freaks, we drove to Little Rock, and we filled up the Mustang. How we got across, even at little dips in the street, I don't know. We had that car packed. Captain Jimmy's house was going to be the night of the party, and everything was ready. The party would be the night of February 8th, 1972. Unfortunately, the party didn't happen because 
we were told at class that morning that we were behind schedule and we would all work. We would be at the theater at 3 o'clock and we would not leave until we were caught up. The group of us got together and decided, well, no big deal, we'll have the party tomorrow night. And we went to the, to the green room at the theater and started working. And we worked, and we worked, and we worked. About 7 o'clock that evening, 6.30, 7 o'clock that evening, we broke for supper. Cafeteria are all closed, so we're going to have to go somewhere to eat. And everybody took off their own separate directions. That night, my friend got in a car with her best friend. And they drove to Senior Bob's to get something to eat. They didn't make it. My friend always wore her seatbelt, but for some reason that night she failed to wear her seatbelt. It was a joke again. Everybody hid the seatbelt from her because she was such a fanatic about it. But that night she forgot the seatbelt. They got in the car and they were driving to Senior Bob's for dinner. And they drove to Front and Bruce Streets in Conway, the main crossing there at the college. They stopped at the first track. And according to the eyewitness, he could see them both turn their heads. They moved to the second track. And they both turned their heads. When they got to the third track, they were broadsided by a Missouri Pacific freight train. The engineer later admitted he was doing 45 miles an hour coming through town because he was late. And records show he did not blow the whistle. They were broadsided. The car was bent into a 90 degree angle. My friend was thrown into the windshield and bubbled it out seven inches with her face. She was thrown backwards, knocked the driver down under the seat and kept her from getting hit. She went forward and cracked the dashboard open with her head. She went backwards, was knocked through the back window, hit the train, and thrown 275 feet down the track. My friend's parents were still in Colorado. It was her father's birthday. He was waiting for her to call him, and she didn't call. The phone rang. It was the pastor wanting her father, who was a chef, to fix dinner for the deacons. He agreed that he would do that on Saturday. But he was upset that his daughter hadn't called. A few minutes later, the phone rang again. It was somebody else from the church wanting him to do something else, and he agreed and then went back to read his paper. A third phone call came. It was his wife, who was at work, and she needed him to bring her a hamburger. So he ran to get her a hamburger, took it to work, and came back. And he asked the little boy, my friend's brother, if she had called. And he says, no, Dad, she hasn't called yet. Now, my friend was the kind who always remembered everybody's birthday. And even if she had to call collect, she called you for the birthday. So her father was pretty upset. It was 8.30 in the evening, his birthday, and his baby hadn't bothered calling him. He was angry. The phone rang again and he refused to pick up the phone because he was so angry. The little brother answered the phone, came to his father and said, Daddy, I don't know what she's done, but she's done done it again. You better get on the phone. It's a doctor.
that was the moment that Mr. Moore learned about the train broadsiding the car his daughter was in. He was told that she would not live till morning, that he and his wife needed to come and make funeral arrangements. Mr. Moore was first upset because he thought the accident, he didn't know the accident was with a train, and he thought his daughter had driven a car she wasn't allowed to have. But as he calmed down and learned what had happened, he realized she was going to die. She was critically ill. And the only way to protect her was through God's intervention. He dropped to his knees and started praying. As he finished his prayer, he grabbed the phone and called the preacher and said, Help. We need the prayer chain started now. She's dying. Please pray for Becky. That's me. Forty years ago, I was supposed to be dead. I was hit by a freight train. Did God let that freight train hit me? Possibly. Did he cause it? No. He allowed situations to come together to call me back home. I forgot to put the seatbelt on that night. Had I had the seatbelt on, the cowcatcher would have gone through my head and there would have been no saving me. But as it was not on, I was thrown free. My roommate, my best friend's roommate, was her boyfriend was out cheating on her, getting an ice cream cone with another girl. Did God cause that? No, he allowed it to happen. Because Barry was there, he saw the accident. He was able to get somebody who was old enough to sign release sheets so emergency surgery could be done. Dr. Bob Bannister was the only doctor in town. And 40 years ago, they didn't have cell phones. They didn't have pagers. And Dr. Bannister lived in Little Rock, 50 miles away. It would have been an hour before he could have gotten there to do any surgery. But as he was leaving for the day, someone else took a turn for the worse, and he stayed at the hospital. As he was walking out the door, they got the call of the accident, and he was at the hospital there to do the surgery. Did God cause the other person to get sick? No. He allowed the situation so that his child could be saved. I was thrown free from the car. I was laying in a ditch, bleeding and dying. A nurse had been trying to get off work early for two weeks, and they were understaffed. She could not. But that night she got off early and promised her kids that she'd go to Walmart and pick up some soda. She drove by Front and Bruce Streets just as the accident happened. She ran to help the person in the car because that's all anybody saw. She jumped into the ditch to get around through the crowd so that she could get to the car and she tripped over my body. Had she not tripped over my body, I would not have been found. I was laying in the ditch with the temporal artery severed on both sides of my head. I was bleeding to death. But because she stepped into that ditch and found me, I was saved.
I wasn't supposed to live through the night. I severed both arteries, both temporal arteries. My eyes hemorrhaged for two weeks. I fractured all four jaws. I had two skull fractures. I separated both shoulders. Damaged my hearing. Multiple lacerations of my face, my arms, my legs, my scalps. But God saved my life because there was something I need to do. Oh yeah, forgot to mention, I was back in class in 20 days. 20 days is all it took for me to go back to school. What did I learn from that? I learned that God can do miracles. I learned the power of prayer. And I learned that He's a God that walks beside me day by day, ever watching over me, lest I stray. He's not a God that lives away up there. He's right here, right now, with anyone who wants Him. He'll find you if you'll just let Him. He'll find you if you'll just ask Him. Yes, I had been raised in a Christian church. Yes, I had been a Sunday school teacher. Yes, I had known the legalisms of being a Christian. But it wasn't until I needed Him and allowed Him to be my personal friend that I knew what it was like to hold His hand and walk through life. What you see through her testimony is that God had his hand in the circumstances, and all of these were just happened to occurrences. And if any one of those occurrence circumstances weren't perfectly in line, she most likely wouldn't have lived. This is called synchronicity, and synchronicity is a simultaneous occurrence of events that appear significantly related but have no discernible causal connection. The word was coined by Carl Jung to say, we know there is a connection here, but we just don't know what it is. But that what it is, is God. So more specifically, it's the overwhelming love of God that can take circumstances outside of his will to work within it. It's also an illustration of Romans 8.28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. There's no such thing as coincidence. A friend once told me that there is no such word for coincidence, coincidence meaning random chance in the original Hebrew language. The equivalent word, mikra, means a happening from God. And this is a quote from an article uh, titled, Coincidence or Mikra. But Hebrew, Lashon HaKodesh, is a holy language, the language in which God himself spoke, the language in which he gave us his holy Torah. Therefore, there can be no true equivalent to any Hebrew word in another language. Literally translated, Mikra means, Akara mehashem. It means it happened from God. The word itself testifies that nothing, absolutely nothing, occurs without his guidance. And this holds true from the most major to the most insignificant event. 
To close, I'm going to read Psalm 16, which, which is a psalm talking about the providence of God, that everything that we have comes from his hand, and that he is our source of protection. Keep me safe, O God, for I have come to you for refuge. I said to the Lord, You are my master. Every good thing I have comes from you. The godly people in the land are my true heroes. I take pleasure in them. Troubles multiply for those who chase after other gods. I will not take part in their sacrifices of blood, or even speak the names of their gods. Lord, you alone are my inheritance, my cup of blessing. You guard all that is mine. The land you have given me is a pleasant land. What a wonderful inheritance. I will bless the Lord who guides me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I know the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad and I rejoice. My body rests in safety. For you will not leave my soul among the dead, or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. So thanks for joining me at the Race to Walk podcast. And if you'd like to get the full text of this this podcast, you can visit racetowalk.org slash P11. So now let's close with a prayer. Lord, thank you so much for your goodness and your faithfulness to us. And please help us to recognize every single every single time you have your hand on us, make us aware of it so that we can praise you and thank you for that, so that we can give you the praise and honor that you deserve. And we know that you love us and that you are willing to work as much in our life as we are willing to let you. And we thank you for our your patience with us for your gentleness with us and for you drawing us to you. I just ask that everyone listening that can just be aware of the presence of your Holy Spirit, Lord, and that just the confidence that you love them. And I ask this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Raised to Walk podcast. We'd love for you to continue to walk with us, so head over to raisedtowalk.org slash news to get free updates. Have a blessed day, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.